I'm Jason Thomas. Welcome to the Hardway MBA, where we empower ambitious corporate professionals. That's you, right? With real-world business knowledge. We interview business leaders who are gracious enough to share their strategic insights and tactical activities to improve your business and career. If you enjoy these interviews, please spread the word because nothing says thank you as well as a referral to your friends and colleagues. Now let's dive in. Welcome, 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 folks. Jason Thomas with the Hardway MBA. Very excited to have uh, Balaji Ramdas joining us today. I met Balaji and his team at Hims a few weeks back. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, you need to look it up. It's HIMSS Healthcare Information Management uh, Symposium. Huge conference. Balaji and his team are in the emerging technology section, and I'm roaming that section. And something in their booth just grabs me and pulls me in. And, and there's something about their message that you guys need to hear. So, Balaji, uh, please take a, a minute and just kind of introduce yourself and, and frame a little bit about what you're doing. And then, you know, we've, we've got some. Uh, Got some questions I'd love to talk through with you. Sure, Jason. Hey, first of all, I really want to thank you for number one, giving us a platform to talk about this. Number two, uh, glad you are drawn into hymns in the emerging section. So we are just happy that you stopped by. Uh, the secondly, I do want to thank you for the service you're providing, kind of giving all of us a platform to talk about stuff. And I really enjoyed your podcast. So thanks. Thank for you. Doing. I appreciate that very much. Not a problem. Uh, so to answer your question, I'll just start with a little bit of background. So it kind of gives you a story about what we are trying to do. So I personally, I'm a systems engineer. Um, I'm sure we all know what systems engineering is, uh, but I'm going to actually come at it from a philosophical level, right? So systems engineering, if you really think about it, is the way of thinking about any outcome. So anything that you want to accomplish in your life needs to have an input. And it becomes an output, right? You want a new car, you need to make a payment. And then the new car comes up. If you cannot afford it, you kind of make a change to your you know, budget and make that happen. So everything that you do has an input, has a feedback mechanism, and then have an output. So that is the very philosophical way of saying that, but uh, uh, there is a very advanced way of uh, consuming systems engineering, and that's what I'm sure, uh, Jason, your audience would have all you know, know this already, is NASA does this. You know, FedEx does this. Uh, and then our transportation industry does this. So that's what systems engineering is. Um, I personally have a PhD in systems engineering and specialize in healthcare. So that's the background story of who I am. Uh, so in, in, uh, that's the educational background. But in the last 15 years, I've actually worked in healthcare. So I am the worker bee on the other side of it. So I've seen the healthcare transformation happen over the last you know, decade and a half. Right. So to give you an example, right? So uh, my started my career uh, working for public health. Mm -hmm. And uh, to give you a quick background, you know, in, in public health, if you think about public health, in early 2000s, it was pretty archaic. We were doing stuff on a piece of paper. And I mean, worse than that, you know, um, the, uh, the, the final, you know, coming, coming together story there is uh, Hurricane Katrina, I got deployed in Houston, Texas. Uh, to take care of the million people that were displaced from Louisiana uh, that they were housing there in the Astrodome. And I was deployed and I served there as a technology consultant for them. So we developed the first ever command center based on, uh, you know, healthcare needs. So that is, that, that is an amazing, uh, you know, humbling and amazing experience at the same time. But anyways, that was one big piece of the story that I want to tell 
uh, is that Hurricane Katrina kind of showed us how archaic technology was in healthcare specifically. Yeah. Well, we've all heard them, people talk about it, right? You know, I'm sure you've heard it. People always say healthcare is behind, but I got to feel it in 2005. So that is the first thing. And then I got to become, I uh, got an amazing opportunity to be the chief technology officer uh, for a fairly large health system called Tampa General Hospital. Mm-hmm. It's based in Tampa, Florida, a uh, thousand bed hospital. So it's a pretty large uh, system. And that experience kind of got me through the first wave of EMR experience, right? You know, you, you did the EMR, you go through the uh, innovation cycles, you did the cloud migration, big data, analytics, all the way out to pain management, you know, med administration, and, and the stuff that people don't talk about in the, uh, you know, the cool sectors of healthcare. You know, right. it's not an app. It's not a writing an app. It was more so the grinding with the patient and the providers and the nurses. And that was an amazing experience. Right. So what, and this phase, I call myself, I, I call this phase as a pre-dawn era of technology uh-huh. in healthcare, right? It was pre-dawn for sure. You know, it was just starting to kind of catch on. Uh, about a couple of years ago, 2014, uh, I started talking to Stanford Healthcare. Stanford Healthcare Palo Alto in California, uh, a fairly large system again. And I helped um, them. Uh, they were building a $2 billion facility. I'm not sure if you know this, but it's a brand new hospital coming together. And the budget is $2 billion. I was their VP for technology experience for them. Uh, and, and, and I'm sure, you know, uh, like in Silicon Valley, there's so much technology access out there. And they were uh, struggling to kind of match what technology they're going to put in and what is the optimum experience that they're going to yeah. kind of extract from the value, right? Yeah. Um, so I got to uh, help them with uh, that piece for a couple of years. Uh, I had a CTO function reporting to me. So the point I'm trying to make is, again, it's all in the worker B. You know, I was on the other side of the spectrum, not the entrepreneur, but more so understanding what is that happens in healthcare. Yeah. Um, so we actually did, for example, one of the greatest things that we did at Stanford did was we went on Google platform on the cloud for their genomics service line. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, again, you know, doing innovation from within the health system. That is the theme here, right? So, you know, I want to summarize all these experiences. If you come, kind of think about it, kind of few points kind of stand out. One is healthcare system at its core is pretty inefficient. Yeah. So that is the premise of why we are even talking about this, why, what we are doing at, at HIMSS, talking about that. Healthcare is pretty inefficient. And we personally think inefficiency is unethical. That's number one, right? It's not just, it's uh, not just bad, it's unethical. It's, it's unethical. Yeah. I mean, it's unethical. You know, inefficiency in any form is unethical. Be it your life or be it certainly somebody else's money and certainly healthcare, there is no excuse for being inefficient. Uh, the second thing is, you know, the physicians and the nurses are the most important aspect of the scared module. Right. Right. Think about it. Yeah. The, the ultimate reason that we are even, you know, patients is because there is a doctor and a nurse to make you feel better. So it's not the technology. It is not the administrators. It's not the app that we are going to write. It's truly the physician and the nurse. And then the third thing is, Anything that we do, healthcare lacks situational awareness. You know, so which, which essentially means they don't, healthcare does not know what is going on within themselves. 
So that's also the three core problem statements. So if you take my experience for the last 15 years and summarize, okay, what is a problem, Balaji, you found? These are the three problems that we found. And funny enough, you know, um, uh, Jason, I'm sure you met my wife, uh, Heather Ramadas, too. Yes. At, at, and actually, we were sitting uh, one day, February last year, and we were actually having a casual conversation, real kitchen discussion. It's like, you know, I was kind of talking about, you know, these are the fundamental problems healthcare has. And she's like, and, and by the way, her background, she also has a significant healthcare background. She has actually seen more healthcare institutions than I have, honestly. She has done amazing stuff uh, all over the country. Um, and she says, absolutely, this is the problem. And then we both looked at each other and said, what are we going to do anything about it? And right. this was, enough, of course, in Silicon Valley, middle of Silicon Valley. And she's like, I think we should do something about it. So yeah. there you go. Uh, I actually resigned from my amazing vice president position at Stanford. Um, uh, my wife actually uh, resigned from PricewaterhouseCoopers. Uh, she had an amazing position there. We both said, we cannot do this half fast. We got to really jump in. Right. Then we came up with, we had to come up with, what are we going to do about it? Right. You know, what do we really need to accomplish? So we came up with, again, you know, a few bullet points. And the first thing I'll, I'll say is we needed to create situational awareness in healthcare. So I'll stop for just a minute. And, uh, and situational awareness is, is kind of a big idea, um, which is why it's a good one in this context. Right. So unpack just that phrase and what it means to you guys in, in your organization and what it means to healthcare. Absolutely, absolutely. So situational awareness in general terms, let's just understand that, right? At any given point in time, do you know what is going on? Situational awareness in any significant, you know, let's take an example that's not healthcare, first of all. You have a FedEx package. You go and drop off your package. The minute you walk out, they give you a little number and you track right. it and you are able to exactly, situational awareness of your package, you're able right. to tell with reasonable you know, consistency where your package is right. towards the ultimate goal. That is situational awareness. Now let's take how air traffic control does situational awareness. You know, the pilots find the plane. The pilots have to you know, make sure that the passenger safety is the utmost concern for them and they're flying the plane. But the air traffic control gives the pilot the situational awareness. They run the radar. They run the weather patterns. They run the traffic circles. That is situational awareness for them. Right. For, for you and me, I mean, situational awareness is how, how are we doing towards our, our this month's budget? Right. You know, right. normal people, we all have situational awareness. Now, let me unpack situational awareness for you in healthcare. You've been a patient, I'm sure. We've all been patients. Uh, and we have been, we have had loved ones in our hospitals sometimes, yep. unfortunately, but we have had that experience. Do you really know what happens? Do you really know when the doctor is going to walk in the door, Jason? No, it's the most, one of the most frustrating things about being in the hospital is there's one person that you really want to hear from and you have no idea when they're going to be there. So you sit around and you wait for them and you, and someone will tell you, well, it usually does rounds in the morning. That's right. So, so I, what do I show up at four? Do I just sleep here? Uh, and, and that's absolutely right. So that is, what do you think the problem there, right? You know, I was going to ask you a question, but just kind of going through this thought. The reason is, it's not because somebody there knows it and not telling you. Right. It's not like they're keeping us. Exactly. Yeah. From you. They are also struggling because healthcare is complex. Mm. Healthcare is way too complex. We do not give enough credit for how complex healthcare is. And ultimately, you want it to be that complex because that's what makes 
the healthcare system amazing as it is right now. The doctors and the nurses, they do an amazing job because, you know, they manage so many complexities for us. So the aspiration here is how do you start to unpack, kind of take that apart and start giving not just the patients. Remember, there is so much in, the, for, so much in this for the physicians and the nurses to make sure their, their life becomes easier so they can take care of the patients. So that is the first step in situational awareness. And I'm sure we will you know, kind of go into it in a little bit more detail as we talk, but that's the first piece of what we thought should be situational awareness that we uh, provide for healthcare. So that was goal number one. Yeah. So I'm seeing this in uh, mostly in large healthcare systems is where these problems emerge. If we're thinking about our, and they're still, you know, around where I live, there's still small doctor's offices that, or there are a couple that aren't, aren't part of a big practice, right? There's not very many left. But in a large healthcare, in a large hospital especially, you've got all the ancillary functions that a, uh, a clinician depends on. You know, they send something to the lab or they need something uh, to come back from wherever. Um, radiology, like all of these different functions I need as a patient and my clinicians need to understand how to take care of me better. What you're, what, what I'm understanding here is the, uh, within the hospital setting, the clinicians aren't getting that information. They don't know when they're going to get the information back either. It's not just that I don't know when they're going to give it to me as a patient, but that is mirrored with the doctors and nurses that they don't know when they're going to get it. So they can't plan their day around delivering that information to me well. Yes, and, and, and absolutely. Think about this a little bit more. Let's, let's actually keep going down the thought. Think about how much they have to balance in their day and, yeah. and their work you know, a schedule to manage this complexity. Yeah. Now, do you think you know, your nurse, as a, you know, when, a, when a kid decides I'm going to be a nurse when I grow up, right? Do you think the kid is thinking, oh, I'm going to become a nurse and take care of all the paperwork? No, that's, no. that's never part of it, right? <laughs> no. so, so let me also actually kind of uh, give you another tidbit here. So we actually, uh, the second goal that we started to talk about within the agility, what are we going to deliver, is something called joy of practicing medicine. Uh-huh. So this is a pretty big thing to unpack too, right? You know, if you think about it, they should, physicians and the nurses should be focused on you and me as patients. Yeah. So giving them that situational awareness, to your point, giving them the visibility they needed to, when is this radiology going to provide this report? When is this lab results going to come up? When is you know, Jason or Balaji going to get discharged? So that what do I need to do making sure that you know, he or she goes home and has a pretty safe life moving forward? That is what they need to be focused on. So that if we can take the complexities, the operational complexities away, Jason, then we give them back the joy of practicing medicine. Right. So how much of that, have you heard of the idea of, I know you've heard of the triple aim, right, uh, in healthcare. Have you heard of the concept of the quadruple aim? Uh, from you now, from yeah. <laughs> so so uh, University of Minnesota uh, Medical yes. School, um, and I'm going to forget the guy's name, but I, I took a course on Coursera with him and he talked a lot about the quadruple aim uh-huh. and how all of the triple aim, you know, traditionally we're talking about population health, experience of care per capita cost, per capita cost, right? Those three things make up a triangle. I'm just kind of draw a visual picture for the mm-hmm. audience. 
none of those things happen without the provider, the, the doctors and nurses. So that becomes, that fourth aim becomes like a foundation upon which the triangle sits. And that's really when you say the joy in practicing medicine, that's what you're thinking about is that, that fundamental piece of it. Absolutely. And, and here's my, you know, here's our hypothesis, right? And I, again, it's open for feedback. I hope your audience gives us feedback about this topic too. And, and you know, the triple aim is all connected. So the only reason there is a triple aim in healthcare is because of the connection, which is a provider. Right. If we do not really take care of the providers, nothing, none of those you know, three points in the triple aim is going to really work. Right. So for the visual, I would put a little eye in the middle of a triangle. Oh, that's <laughs> interesting. That is, essentially, yeah. <laughs> that is essentially the provider and the nurses and the care providers that right. are so critical for the patient. Remember, ultimately, it's about you and me as patients. Ultimately, it's about our loved ones as patients. You want the nurses and the physicians, you want their 100% attention when you are sick. And that's the ultimate goal, right? The ultimate goal is a patient. For the patient, there is, without the physician and the nurse, there's really no patient. You're right. just people. Right. So how do, you see, how do you see healthcare systems dealing with this today? I mean, what are they trying to do or what are they thinking about this? Or is this just kind of an afterthought? No, no, no. Listen, I think you got to give credit to a lot of health systems because they have gone through amazing amount of transformation in the last 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. Again, kind of, you know, you know this, Jason, but we'll walk this through real quick. Think about it. 10 years ago, in 2008, right, there was no electronic medical record. Yeah. It was not a pervasive thing. So I, did, I, I looked up some numbers from advisory, um, advisory board. The penetration, the electronic medical record, was only 8.3% of the hospitals had that in 2008. Yeah. You, you know the number right now? It's mind-boggling. It's 90-something, isn't it? It's 83.8%. Yeah. In 2015. So now you're right. So now we are I mean, in 2017. So absolutely, you're, you're, prob- you're, you're probably more accurate. My number is 2015 number. So the idea is, what do you think happened? We grew in such a fast pace. We introduced technology into a health system. And healthcare is usually a pretty conservative business, right? It's yeah. not the most contemporary business. And we want it to be a pretty conservative business because it's human life that matters. Right. But we put in technology in a very steep rate. So we didn't have time to re-engineer any of these things. What we did is we took all the practices of the past and baked it into technology. So when you ask the question, what are hospitals doing? So hospitals have just gone through this cycle, right? The health systems have gone through this cycle. Right now, they are, they are kind of looking at this in two different ways. Hey, we put an amazing, you know, point A is we put an amazing electronic medical record, which is for the users, for the, for the listeners here, it is just an ERP system. Think about this as an ERP system for, you know, healthcare. People use this, live, nurses, physicians live here. Yep. That's what they use for their workflow. Then the hospital systems, then they went ahead and invested a significant amount of resources and money into data warehousing technology, into this whole big buzz around big data. But guess what the problem is? It is not that you have a data warehouse or a workflow engine. The problem is data warehouse is only going to tell you a problem that has already happened. Right. 
And healthcare is a business that you cannot wait. You cannot wait for your ETL process to finish to tell you, hey, there was a sepsis patient in the bed yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So to your point, healthcare systems are balancing those two pieces. And where agility as we come in is we come in in the middle level, which is transactional layer. Okay. So we help health systems unpack their transactional layer of data to make decisions right now. Think about this as a radar, air traffic control radar, real-time pings to say, hey, this patient needs to get discharged. So for this patient to get discharged, there are about 85 different things that needs to happen. Right. So why don't we unpack it for them? So let's come back to the first problem we talked about. You asked the quote, great question. Hey, I don't know, you know what is going on. Do they not even know? Yes. So now let's tell them what needs to happen. So physicians and the nurses can actually provide the care they need to do, whereas the command center, the, the agility's platform now tells them, okay, these are the things that needs to happen. Yep. Let's make it happen one by one. So it's almost, if I'm understanding this, and most, most folks who've been through any kind of technology implementation have heard some of this language before. Um, it doesn't have to be healthcare, so don't get lost here with this guy, but think it through. The, uh, anytime we go to implement new technology, uh, we also, I advocate that we look at the current process. Mm-hmm. And we, we also look at what's suboptimal with the current process. And that, that used to mean literally sitting down with people that were using post-it notes and, and you, know, you know, printed invoices and all that kind of fun stuff, right? And that's kind of where healthcare came and was in 2008. Yep. And since 2008, we've implemented all the technology in the world, like everything that's been available, but haven't, most, most facilities really haven't turned around and looked in depth at the processes, day to day clinical processes, the interface with the patient, and the interface with all these ancillary pieces and clinician. So they're still kind of operating the, the way they were in two thousand eight. Uh, and before that, and before that, right, yeah. right, and and for decades before, in some yeah. cases, um, except that they have these. The tools are different. Absolutely. Now they're looking at a computer screen instead of a clipboard. So, so kind of let me kind of give you another tidbit, right? So, so you actually clearly identified the problem right now, right? Mm-hmm. That is exactly the problem. Now, let's walk through this step about how can we move from there and then see what goes on next, if you don't mind. Yeah. So, one of the things that you know, when I was at Stanford, I got introduced to this kind of uh, idea called design thinking. Yep. Uh, I'm sure it's a pretty solid buzzword right now in the industry, uh, but design thinking is, is is real, you know, and, and I'm not going to go into the detail of it, and it's a very simple concept, uh, but I'm going to pick on the first stage of design thinking. It's, it's actually, the first stage is called empathy. Do you empathetically understand the problem that you're trying to solve? That is question number one. And that goes into the core of what you're asking, Jason, is did we really spend the time to put the sticky notes out there to re-configure configure the process with right. the empathy towards the person who is doing the job? Right. We never did. We no. did not ask the nurse, how do you want to do this? What of these functions truly belong to you? Or does chasing the physician really belong to you? I don't think so. 
Right. And, but we made it theirs because we just took something and you know slammed it in there because that's the steep growth, right? From nine percent to eighty-five percent is a pretty steep growth yeah. in less than a decade. Yeah. The, so the, the analogy and analogy in other other parts of the business world, uh, CRMs uh, kind of like Salesforce gets put in. Not typically, often not for sales guys. It's not for the Salesforce. Usually, it's for sales management. And it's so that we have more accurate re- predictability on what our revenue is going to be, which is extraordinarily important for an enterprise. But then to turn around and tell sales folks, oh, yeah, use this, but not have sat with them and help and understand why they should or why they would. The what's in it for me, for a salesperson, often isn't there. No, I, I think you're, that's a great analogy. The what's in it for me, for a nurse or a doctor, um, well, yeah. they've been made big promises so far, I think. Yeah. They're also very disappointed. Yeah. So, so, so design thinking helps with that is my yeah. point, right? Yeah, so absolutely. If you really take healthcare, so what we have done in agility is we took healthcare and broke this down into about 15 different domain areas. Okay. And then we took those 15 different domain areas and concentrated it back into six core offerings. And the idea we, we did this, right, is what we call the flare. First, you need to flare this up. You've got to blow it up, essentially, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Blow it up and then bring it, reconstruct it back together in a way that you want it to be constructed. So and- if you don't mind, can you take us inside that process a little bit? Because this is one of the interesting things that, uh, that uh, I want to tease apart. It's how you guys went from, we've got this, we've got this fundamental issue, um, and you did a very good job of frame, framing that to having an offering to the market. Absolutely. That's a, that's, that's a hard thing to do. Um, so how did, you, how did you start to identify 15 domain areas? Yes. So, so you know, a, a couple of things. One, experience helps. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. Um, the second piece, and, that, and I think our 15 years of collective experience, not just with me and my wife, Heather, but also the amazing people that we have worked with and our team, is experience. We have all been in the healthcare system, and I have people that have done this many, many times, physicians, nurses that we work with to come up with this. So mm-hmm. all credit goes to them. So having said that, this is how we did this. We first said, we, the first stage of how we implement something like this, right, situational awareness, is to empathize. So then we asked the question, what are we going to empathize on? You cannot just say that word, just doesn't mean anything until you do it. So we actually picked some domain areas. I'll, I'll read it out to you, but I, I'm sure we can share this with you as well. The first one is orders management. So if you, if you know healthcare, healthcare is run by physicians writing orders. It is just the old way of doing things, but it's still relevant, but we yeah. need to unpack it. So that's one. And I, I'm, not, I'm just going to go through a three or four of this, Jason, for the time's sake. But the second sure. one, revenue cycle. You cannot do anything without business because healthcare is a business yeah. for great reason. So we need to make sure that is there. Care management. Care. So care management, an example for the audience is, hey, when you become, when you come in for an ortho, if you're an ortho patient, you come in for a surgery, a knee replacement, then you go through different stages of care. The second stage of it is rehab. Yeah. So care management, managing you through the different domains. And then interdisciplinary communication. Are the doctors talking to themselves. How, what can we do to unpack that and make sure that they are all talking to the right people? So this is an example of, you know, four or five examples of our 15 domains that we right. on. And that is just the empathy piece, right? Then we form something called design teams. 
Okay. Design teams are made up of physicians and nurses and people who do the work, not the administrators, not the technology people. We go directly work with them. In And ultimately what we are doing, Jason, you know this, it's change management, right? Yeah. We are working with them and we are now, now that we have unpacked everything, we are going to put the focus back in, right? So the second stage is called defining. That's where we focus it back. And it goes well with the design thinking process. Then we bring this back to one thing, patient. You do all this thing for the patient. So what is the patient experience like? What is the quality that the patient is receiving? Quality of care. What are the things that we are proving that they are growing up? What is the data that we are proving that we are providing ultimate care? So we bring the focus back into the patient. That is the stage two. Then we flare back up by working on workflows, we go look at the data gathering. You remember I told you there is an EMR, electronic medical record? Yeah. We go into that and then see what of those things we can pull and create triggers and events. So the triggers and events essentially become the situational awareness. Hey, Jason needs this medication. Balaji needs this rehab person walking in. These are events and triggers that we can generate to create that situational awareness, that radar for you. Right. So in a lot of ways, you're, excuse me, you're moving from the, you've got this problem area and you move to the people side of it and the people with the problem. And really the domains that you talked about are domains that if any one of you go sit down and talk to a clinician, um, they're going to talk, maybe revenue cycle management is is not the clinicians, um, but it's certainly that link between clinical and administrative. And business. Um, And from a product perspective, it's a great way to tie yourself to revenue, uh, which is an easier way to sell your products. So that's, that's really, really smart. Um, but you're, you're, you're empathizing with the people from there getting into their process and then taking that to the then and only then taking that to the technology and saying, okay, let's see what you have today. Yes. And, and just to give you a one more, you know, one more feedback into this, the, the ultimate goal is you know, the, te- the technology, right? The technology is only the sub-platform within this. That's the reason why we are not talking deliberately about technology because technology is we have amazing platform that surfaces all the transactional information. It, that is the, I hate to say this, but that is the easy piece. Right. You know, technology is not the toughest part. It's the change management and getting this thing together. So, so when you say, you know, why, why do we do this? We actually do see our business as services and technology uh, offering. Because without the proper implementation, we are not going to slap on a technology. We will not do it. You know, we actually had at HEMS, Jason, a couple of hospitals said, hey, can we install this in the next couple of months? And the answer is no, we don't want to. And it's okay. It's from a, from a business and our, our value perspective, I'm okay to say no to that kind of business. Yep. Well, and I look at, at organizations that think they can apply a technical solution to a, a person, a people problem. Mm-hmm. And that's a shortcut. Um, it, it's a bandaid yeah. to go back to the medicine. It doesn't work. If yeah. you're not willing to invest what you need to invest to solve the problem, then don't throw money away. Just don't solve it yet. Amen, brother. (laughs) So uh, thanks for breaking down those, those domains a little bit. I think the, uh, the, the big picture here, then we have clinicians that are doing what they 
what they wanted to do when they graduated from school. You know, they, they left yes. school excited about this, this thing called medicine. And many of them now complain about this thing called administration. So now they're, they're, they have more joy. They, they have some situational awareness. But what's next? I mean, there's, does that completely solve the, 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 the fundamental issue we talked about at the beginning? So, yes and no, and, and, it, and it's a very tough, very good question, a tough question to answer, because healthcare is complex, Jason. Healthcare has so much more that we have to do, and we will constantly strive towards making it better, right? I'm going to give you a couple of examples. So let me know if it resonates with you. Yeah. So, this piece, this piece of situational awareness, I think is fundamental, because healthcare is only going to get complicated. It's, it's only going to get complicated. If we ever think it's going to get simpler, it's just wrong. Because human body is not simple. You know, right. human emotions are not simple. It is not like getting in a cab drive from your app and getting a ride. People right. try to make that analogy to make it simpler, but it's not. It's really not. It's human emotions. It's also an emotion that is very com- compromised when you're sick and when your loved ones are sick. So it is. So to answer your question, it is extremely, there's a lot of things that we need to do. And it's very complex. So I'm going to give you one example. The next wave of things that are going to happen in healthcare, if you really think about it, is genomics. Yeah. Now, that is not going to you know, make it any simpler, that is, but it is going to be an amazing boon of, on science, on, 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 on health management. Our lives are going to change, but we cannot get there, or we will get there, in a very haphazard way if we don't have the foundation cleaned up. There is, I'm, I'm sure you know this, there is this huge push from fee-for-service to value-based performance. That is the same challenge we have. So fee-for-service is what we have. Every time I get sick, I go pay your physician to take care of it. The future is there is incentive in, for the physicians and the hospital system to keep me healthy, yeah. not have me come in. There is an incentive for them. There's a financial incentive for them. The government is moving towards that way. The private payers are moving towards that. So that is a second complexity. So when you ask the question, you know, there are many, many, many more challenges that we yeah. need to adapt. But foundationally, foundationally, it's time to clean up your foundation. This is not sexy work. This is not writing an app and becoming a multi-billionaire overnight. This is grunt work. This is work that nobody's going to talk about. Right. Nobody cares. Nobody should care. And that is a business that we are in, and we take a lot of pride in that. Yeah. Well, I would argue with you. I think a lot of people should care because it, it impacts all of us. We're all going to go see a doctor at some point. And I want, that, I want that physician to be fully focused on solving my problem, which is more important than his administrative tasks. Absolutely. <clears throat> you're, 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 you are one of the educated and, and you know, uh, customers of the future, right? You are the complexity, part of the complexity. I am part of the complexity, right. too. That's true. And well, so when you think about genomics, what genomic, genomics really adds a ton of complexity because it makes the, and, and the idea, it, it gives us this idea of precision medicine and really matching, making the medical intervention just as complex as the human that you're intervening on. So, you know, we've had relatively simple interventions compared to how complex the problem is. 
Now, now think about this, right? So if Balaji is going to me as a person, as a, as a, as a biological being, if I can break this down from the foundational level, yeah. I'm going to react to things differently than you as a biological being. Yeah. Now, if with genomics, we're going to know that. We're yeah. going to know Jason is going to react to Tylenol better than Balaji because Balaji reacts to something else. Right. So the idea is, if we know that, how are we, the complexity that we are going to place on the physicians and the nurses to take care of that is just going to be enormous. Amazing opportunity, though. Phenomenal amount of opportunity. And that's what, you know, one of the things that we help towards, you know, we, we kind of create those domain areas and bring this back up. And one of the things that we do is set that stage up for taking on more complexity. Right. That's perfect. So, man, thank you for spending some time with us today. I have a couple of relatively standard questions that I ask almost every guest that I'm, I'm, I want to run by you. Um, the first one is a piece of tactical advice that you would give to the audience. And a reminder, we're talking about pretty ambitious corporate audience. Some are probably in healthcare. I've been leaning towards healthcare here lately as I've been uh, thinking about it more. Um, something that they can, something they can do today, hopefully to change their life or their career? Well, you know, your audience are pretty ambitious. And uh, thanks for even asking me this question. Um, So here's what I'm going to kind of reflect upon my own life, Jason, and kind of think about where I go for strength for myself, right? Mm -hmm. So I ride motorcycles. I ride motorcycles. I've always ridden motorcycles from when I was a, you know, shouldn't preteen. But you know, one of the things that I learned riding motorcycles is when you take a turn, when you take a curve, you know, you've seen people doing nice curves. They always say, look past the curve. Yes. You know, this is, if you don't, you're, you're essentially dead because you're going to hurt yourself. Because <laughs> where you see is where you go when you ride motorcycles. Yeah. So they always say, look past the curve. If you look into the curve, you're going to end up where you look. So if you're looking at that rock that's on the side of the street, you're going to end up, your brain, your hands coordinated. It's always this. It's, it's, that's who we are. So my, I always, you know, when I have doubt, when I have self-doubt, or when I have question myself, I think I look past the curve. I, I always have found strength in that. And that is how I think it has helped me not really get through my amazing career as an employee. And think about this. I have actually transitioned from being a very structured, you know, vice president in major organizations to become an, uh, you know, entrepreneur, quote unquote. And that transition kind of bolstered my thought about looking past the curve. Yeah. We are in for a bigger mission, which is healthcare as a whole. So I do think that is something that has helped me. Hopefully it will help somebody else. I think it's a wonderful metaphor too. Thank you for sharing that. So the best business book you've ever read. So I'm going to kind of business book, huh? So well, if you if you have a hard time with a business book, we'll go any book. But no, no here's here's what I'm saying. You know, you, your audience this is pretty hyper intelligent and hyper cerebral audience. So I think they have pretty much unpacked every business book there is. That's and, probably true. <laughs> That's a really good point. Yeah. So so let me again actually go back and kind of give you uh, two books in my mind that have uh, had a pretty significant impact on me. Uh, that is. Applicable in business, but how you apply it is up to you, and it's personal for you. The first one is a book from 2009. Uh, it was written by uh, an author. Uh, his name is Matthew Crawford. Okay. And the book's name is Shop Class as Soulcraft. 
Shop yes. class as soul craft. Uh-huh. And inquiry into the value of work. Okay. This book is amazing because, you know, one of the things that he says, I think I'll quote this, and yeah, you know, it's, it's, he says, to live wakefully is to live in full awareness. And to live well is to reconcile between those two. It's an amazing thought. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah, and, and, I, and the reason I think it's, it's, it has business value, and that's why I'm mentioning this here, is we have to be in a complete balance with what is that that we are doing for our business, our work, our entrepreneurship, our cerebral part of the brain needs to be in match with our other side, which is, which is extremely important. Because if your audience, you know, these guys are doing amazing stuff, you know, they need to be thinking about their balance. So for me, this again is a, is a great book. So that's number one. The number two book, Jason, are you there? Uh, yeah, we had a little, a little hitch in the internet. It looks like we're back though. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, I can. Good. So the, the, the last book, I, the second book I would say is actually a recent book, 2016. I just finished reading it and it's been a huge impact. It's by John Cag, K-A-A-G. John Cag, it's book on American philosophy, a love story. Okay. And, and it has an amazing amount of uh, wisdom for business people, certainly me as an entrepreneur, as a person that's trying to balance everything. And, and actually, you know, it has a profound saying there that says, life is not a problem to be solved, but it's a mystery to be lived. You know, it kind of, the entire premise is around that. So I found it amazingly useful for me. Awesome. So, Balaji, thank you so much again. If folks want to get in touch with you, either because uh, you know they need to talk to you about agility and they need they're, they're realizing, shoot, we gotta we gotta talk to this guy, we gotta figure this stuff out. This is a real problem in our hospital, um, or because they're just impressed with the way you're thinking and they want to say thank you. What's the right way for folks to do that? So, a couple of ways. You know, I'm on Twitter. I am at Tech Officer T E C H O F F I C E R. At Tech Officer, uh, my email is Balaji, B-A-L-A-J-I, at agility.io, and the website is agility.io as well. Cool. And those will be in the show notes, guys. Uh, take a look. If you're driving, certainly don't, don't try to write them down. <laughs> look at the show notes when you get where you're going. And do reach out to Balaji on Twitter and just say thank you, um, at Tech Officer. And, thank, and again, thank you for spending some time with us today. Thanks for sharing your insights. Jason, you're doing amazing work. Keep doing it. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hardway MBA. Look us up on Twitter at Hardway MBA. Our website's hardwaymba.com. Facebook, LinkedIn, we've got groups everywhere. If you don't guess we should be talking to, please make an introduction. Nothing says thank you to me like referring this podcast to your friends. Drop a link to them. Let them know they should listen. Thank you so much.